This is the Chris Cast. Cody, do you know what Philip Grubauer's save percentage is right now? Just off the top of your head, do you know what it is? Ooh, I would probably guess it's like 887 or something. 887. That's that's you know what? That's very positive of you to look at that. The answer oh, is no. eight, it's 882. <laughs> like it's not that far different, but in NHL by NHL standards, that is wow. that's a hole that you're in. Uh it has been a very bad year for Philip Grubauer. Holy crap. That's like shocking. That's like sub that's like a like if they, if they had like a team that was actually built like well that that's the kind of save number that would get you sent to the ahl for like conditioning stints you know what i mean oh a hundred percent like it is a yeah you would not be on the main you would be in the in the press box right now you would be yeah, yeah. You, or yeah you'd be in uh uh i guess right now if i'm remembering correctly are they in chicago i think are they sharing the chicago wolves with the hurricanes right now uh because they're it's either they're sharing, I think they're three-way sharing a team with uh, Carolina and Florida, if I'm not mistaken. I think Florida got their team back. I think Florida went back to their original. Or you might be right, though, actually, because they're the Springfield Thunderbirds, are they Yeah, not? correct. Like, uh, maybe, so, yeah, because the, the, they would be Chicago Wolves as the Hurricanes. But yeah, okay, they get so, the, the Coachella Valley, Valley Firebirds in yeah. 2023, I think, is when they start. Um, but good Lord, like, you know, uh, welcome to the crease cast, our first crease cast of 2023, Happy uh, or 2022. Everybody. God, I keep doing that. I keep like confusing 2022 and 2023, It'll uh, be 2023 uh, soon enough. Well, a year of mistakes is already over. Uh, a year of no mistakes is already over. I've done that right there. Um, but yeah, the Canucks are coming off the fact that they won, uh, they won five to two over the mm-hmm. Seattle Kraken yet another win. They have won. Eight of nine. They've got a nine-game point streak. They're absolutely cooking. Um, and it still doesn't matter because they dug themselves such a hole at well, the start of the season. I mean, it might matter. It might matter soon. They're actually getting pretty close here. Um, but like, compare that to like the Kraken, for example. And I know we're starting off on a bit of a Kraken-heavy thing, but it's just kind of it, the reason why is just because it's kind of shocking just how not just how bad the kraken have been but like frankly the thing is they're not even like the team itself in front of philip grubauer and their goaltending actually apparently hasn't been all that terrible like Mm -hmm. they've been okay like they haven't been great they haven't been the playoff team that some people thought they were going to be it's like the overwhelming review it's kind of funny it's like the inverse of what people thought like a lot of people like myself included were like oh they're going to put cobbled together like a really good defense out of the expansion draft and out of free agency the forward groups will be probably be rough on scoring but if they if they angle themselves correctly at the expansion draft they could become a lot deeper than you think especially when the all likelihood is they are going to take yanny gord from tampa who is like one of the best picks and then of course yanny gord misses like the entire first like three weeks with an injury uh, and then the one thing that the Seattle Kraken uh, management group were banking on the goaltending, which a lot of people thought like with the expansion draft with guys like Capo Kakonin and Vitek Vanacek being available, like there's no way they could screw this up. It should be a layup that they have good goaltending and okay defense and maybe scoring. They figure out later and instead everything is okay, except goaltending goaltending has been, as you said, fucking atrocious not a single goaltender 
has got above an 892 save percentage. Yeah. All their goals against averages are higher than three. Like they got nothing going on in the back end. It's uh, I mean, it's good for Canucks fans because the last thing they wanted was another Western conference team to come into the league and immediately head straight to the Stanley cup finals. Another uh, Pacific division team like as well, like right in your backyard, like geez, that would have been an ugly look, especially considering the Canucks started this year completely falling off cliff and, immediately canned all of their management team. So like this would have been the worst year probably for ownership to have the Seattle Kraken come in and be stars while they commit to a second uh, like organizational restructure. Like that would have been just like a horrendous look. So like at least they can, I mean, it's a good thing they did it now, but while Seattle's still bad instead of wait another year and hope for the best, which is what a lot of people were worried they were going to do with the bending regime. Uh, but we didn't get that, fortunately. But yeah, I I can't believe like 882. That's 882. so bad. Yeah. But we I think you even put pointed this out when we were doing our expansion draft coverage that Philip Grubauer is as good as he is in Colorado because he's playing behind the Colorado Avalanche and a really well-structured defense. But there is no guarantee that that skill or that save percentage is going to translate to the Seattle Kraken. Whereas right. I think a lot of people just kind of did the the lazy thing of I saw Grubauer's J fresh card with Colorado and it's a blue line with a high winds above replacement. So that means he's going to be awesome no matter what, but yeah. you, my or- friend pushed back on that. So kudos to yeah. you. Thank you. I, well, you know what? Like, I don't want to take like pleasure in saying like Phil, that Philip Grubauer is done poorly. Cause I actually quite like Grubauer and like, in terms of like what he brings to a team, mm-hmm. I think, but I think, yeah, I think you're right in the sense of I think a lot of people thought that they were going to get another Marc-Andre Fleury here, whereas Fleury's yeah. track record is very different than Grubauer's, where he has the long track record of playing for teams that have sometimes underperformed, and he's done well despite that. Like, mm-hmm. and he has the successful, like, the long-term history. Like, even in, like, this year in Chicago has been kind of a weird mulligan for for Fleury, even. And even then, he's gotten him better as the season's gone on for them, too. Like... And yeah, you like just looking at things right now out of the goal, out of every goaltender in the NHL to play more than 15, to play more than nine or sorry, nine games. Mm-hmm. He is dead last in save percentage. Uh, he, he is dead last out of that group in front of him is Kevin Lankinen, who's played 11 Jonas Johansson for Colorado has played nine Corpus Jonas Corpus Salo's played nine and Chris Drieger, the other Seattle Kraken goalie who's uh. played nine. And God, I pointed this out the other night. Never forget that the Kraken could have had, could have had Capo Kakinen, who I believe is much higher on this list right now uh, mm-hmm. than a lot of these guys. Uh, Vitek Van or Vitek Vanacek, who has a nine ten. They yeah. had him. They did pick they him, him, and then they gave they him up had for Vitek a second Vanacek and then traded him back to the Capitals. Like uh, I don't know why they did that. To this day, I well, don't understand that pick. Like why that they would trade such a good, take such a good young goaltender yeah. who clearly like is on to something there, yeah. and just give it back for very little to nothing, considering it, what he did last it year. It shows it shows how poor like the Seattle management group was with like even prior to adding as- asset management or like returning like good quality assets for what they could get. Like they could have had Vlad Tarasenko for like half the year and then flipped him at 50% retained for a huge haul. 
if they really wanted to. Same yeah. with Carey Price. Like, I mean, obviously Carey Price is going through something right now, but like you could have still taken him, flipped him at 50% like after this year or whatever and recouped a bunch of assets. Instead, like they, they could have gotten Vanacek and Kakonen and they would have been and cheap. They, still- they would have been good. They would have been like still better than what they have, but instead they committed something like nearly $10 million to two guys who had never really been proven as starters. And it's crazy. And, and for the record, they could have had Grubauer and those two. Like they didn't have yeah. to necessarily choose. Like you, like if you remember when we did our expansion draft, that I really pushed for the idea of you should draft five goaltenders. If you yeah. can take five goaltenders, you should draft five because and then flip them around and flip one and flip some of the older guys in particular. Flip a mm-hmm. guy. Flip the flip either flip like Joey Decord if you don't feel that you can take him. Yeah. Uh, if you don't feel that you want to keep him in the in the AHL as your number three. Or you take, or you, or a guy like Drieger who has like that one good year in Florida, you can go in there and say, well, there might be some other teams that are really desperate for a goaltender right now that might want to take a chance on them for a little too, for a rich price. So you graft them anyway. Like you take Mm -hmm. as many guys as you can and then you make the deals. But at the end of the day, you'd be better off keeping the younger two because Mm -hmm. they're going to buoy you for the rest of the time. Like you look at Vegas, for example, like, yeah, they've kind of have survived mostly off of the two goaltenders being Marc-Andre Fleury when he was there and then Robin Leonard after him. Mm -hmm. But if you look at like all the other goalies they picked during those, that expansion draft during that time, it was Malcolm Subban. It was Oscar Dansk. It was Maxime Legasse. It was, um, I'm blanking on the, uh, it was uh, Garrett Sparks was another one. uh, Calvin Pickard. They had like a but they drafted just like a rotating well, group of like yeah, yeah. like fill ins basically and, and what's now they did also happen to go through that very weird period where every one of their goaltenders got injured and every time the new goaltender came in they were they suddenly also, amazing like they yeah. suddenly turned into just like they all just turned into a bunch of tiny Roberto Luangos like all right shut out in the first game here we go and it's, it's yeah. almost as if like they built around prioritizing a good defense and so that like what was it that kid they drafted and then he immediately debuted like dylan ferguson or whatever dylan like they, ferguson, called, they had to call they him called him up from the whl and then he came in and i don't i don't remember if he played or not but he, he ended up playing one period against the oilers like it was a, literally it was like an emergency call because so many goaltenders got hurt they didn't even yeah. plan on playing him but then i think the that was one of the few games where the oilers where the knights did get shelled like completely shelled and they didn't have anything else to go with. And they were kind of like, all right, let's just give the kid a look. Might as well. Like right. it was already like six something they had nothing, two right? or something. Yeah. It was like, it was like, well, we've already won like 10 games in a row, which is already better than any other expansion <laughs> team. So, Hey, let's <laughs> do whatever we want at this yeah. point. Let, let the 19 year old kid go out there and see and play against Connor McDavid, yeah. see how it goes. And I think he did fine. Yeah, like, and see, it, like Vegas could do that because they were, like you said, the new franchise. They're allowed to try shit when uh, they probably shouldn't. When they a, team like, a team like the Vancouver Canucks, who had been toiling for, you know, seven years, had no excuse to be forcing Michael DiPietro into a game, but they did because that's just how, was, how bad I things have been li- managed. I was, I was livid about that when that happened. I was like, are you kidding me? Like everyone saw it coming too. like everyone that just knew as soon as he stepped in that crease, he was going to get fucking lit up. And what was it like seven goals or whatever the shit eight goals. And it was like one of those things where it's like the first goal goes in off of like Ben Hutton and in. you're just like, and you're just like, 
oh, this poor kid. Like, I just like, as soon as they did that, I'm like, I swear to God, someone better be dying if they, (laughs) if they put in Mike DiPietro because Jesus, that poor kid is not ready for this. Like it it was supposed to like, yeah, that was uh, but guys, what cap issues? (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, but you know what? Now, not now. That being said, that was that was a different era. This team this is, is true. This team is very different. This Canucks team is very different. They looked much better last night. We're or, in a uh, much, yeah, we're in a yes, much different better. era. We've got the Canucks goalie winning Stars of the Month multiple months in a oh. row. We've got the coaching staff winning Coaching Staff of the Month, which is apparently a, a thing? thing that the NHL Coaches Association gives out every month. And they want it first I've ever heard half it. a month too, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, yeah, it's good enough. Round up. It's it's for them. Why not? And yeah. how can you disagree? I mean, deservingly so. Yeah, 8-0-1 record. Uh, or sorry. I guess that's, I guess that's yeah, right. Yeah, 8-0-1, right? you're correct. Eight yeah, because they played only the one game and they've only played the one game in 2022. Right. Uh, an 88.2% PK, 31.6% power play percentage uh <laughs> a, a, a positive face-off win percentage these are the stats i'm reading off of their why they won coaching staff of the month but <laughs> nice but congrats to bruce boudreau who bruce, had there it is quite the run but my favorite thing about the bruce boudreau era run where they have won these awards the team is vibing they're feeling good it's so funny that like every interview with boudreau or with jim rutherford they're not even like acknowledging the fact that they're winning like they're just like yeah yeah it's great but you know we gotta really we really need to win a lot if we want to even have a chance at playoffs and our team isn't good enough we still need i think jim rutherford in uh, his piece with patrick johnson was just like yeah we're looking at the bottom six because we can't have five points out of six guys in the last three weeks so i'm really looking at changing that once i get a new gm in yeah, I and, wrote about that for Canucks Army as well, like his interview on with Halford and Bruff, where he talked about a lot of those points as well. Like he touched on mm-hmm. just how like the bottoms and this was before they actually did real the bottom six actually did really pull their weight. Yeah. In the game against Seattle. Um, but like prior <laughs> to that, yeah, they had not been doing a lot. And um it and you know, they're winning games, so it wasn't really throwing too much of a wrench into things. Mm-hmm. But clearly, if you want to take that next step into being great your bottom six has to be a lot more part of the contribution and has to be yeah. making that bigger impact. And right now, and up to that point, they weren't. No. Um, and that was because kind of the previous regime had really set it up so that, that what they wanted, they built a top heavy team. Like they built They kind of purposely yeah. built a top heavy team, which didn't make any sense in today's NHL. And it's why it didn't work for so long. No, that's why everyone always criticized Travis Green's whole entire idea of having a, a scoring top six and a bottom six that is for, you know, checking. chewing minutes and checking and penalty killing. It doesn't yeah. work. It's outdated. And it was proven this year when the team like had nothing going for it. Um, I'm sure on the notion of the bottom six playing a lot better in last Saturday, there's Friday's game. Saturday's against, game. Yep. Saturday's game against uh, the Seattle Kraken. Uh, Niels Hoglander has himself a game, uh, such that Kelly Hrudi and Kevin Bieksa were talking about him, although they may have missed the boat on their analysis when they said that he is an okay player. He's not that skilled. I don't know what the uh, fuck they're watching because I I'm sure Bieksa we... was a little nicer, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, Kelly Hrudi uh, in particular. Yeah. Bieksa was obviously trying to be nice and like trying to be like the, I guess the neutral party here, but Anyone that's watched the Canucks over the last two seasons knows that Niels Hoglander has been 
like a top four forward for them in the in the last two years like he was the only reason they were remotely watchable last season because he was the only one giving 100% every single game. Same as this year, except he has been incredibly snake-bitten on his shots. Like, I think he he still, like, got a normal shooting percentage. Like, it's not sky high, but it's lower than it was last year, so he's just, like, not finding the back of the net. But he's still, like, the same kind of production pace that he was on last year. Like, he's at, like, you know, half a point per game or whatever it is. Like, it's... He's still doing really well. That's why the Rudy thing was just so like, what are you basing the analysis of? Yeah. For me, I, I I said on Twitter that that kind of screamed to me. Like I have like Kelly Rudy, that might've been Kelly Rudy's way of saying, I don't know who this is. I have not watched him play. And and he just kind of, and it was like the, it's the, like you, you blindly throw the dartboard at the the talking points and you, yeah, you land on it. Like you're looking for like the, like the canned answer of uh TV analysis where you just Good throw, like, you just completely make something up and you hope enough people agree that no, like it just slides under the radar. No one notices. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, it really is that like either you go there or you just go so outlandish and jokingly that it, that <laughs> yeah. it people like, Oh, that's funny. That's a good one. Like, like a well, Kelly Rudy was just like MVP. Like, like you just go really. Yeah. Like he just like talked about him, like you know this guy's winning the heart. You know he plays big. He's, yes. he's got a bit. He's got a big yes. frame on him, and then people are like, big frame on him, and it's just we, like, we you're stand. Just, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, the clapping's like, kind of got like some confusion you, behind you it. Like holding up a cue card, like that says all those things on it, but it also says like, but it says like a uh, Leon Dreisaitl on the back or, or something. Or like, or like, yeah, the cue card says Myers everywhere, and it's just crossed <laughs> out, and it just says uh, Hoglander instead. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, I I I enjoy watching Hoglander play. I thought he was really oh, good in Seattle. I think he's been good all year, and yeah, oh, he hasn't God, scored yeah. as much. But like, he's still like one of the better players. I am concerned when I did see that Jim Rutherford quote about the bottom six not playing well. I was like, is Hoglander going to be the guy that you gets flipped to thought, improve that bottom six, or is I he was, the only guy that sticks? I was going to ask you that question in the in specifically in terms of when he means the bottom six, because in a way the Canucks kind of don't have a full, don't really have a bottom six. Like, cause we talked, like we yeah. talked about the beginning of the season, they're kind of more of like an eight, nine kind of like an eight or nine team kind of thing. So when he says bottom six, like with the exception of say, obviously, obviously that includes say guys like Mott, uh, Lamico, um, you, Dickinson, at, I guess Dick, Dickinson, unfortunately, Jason, High more those guys, yeah, Who's yeah. He, it's, is he it's including t- like? Is that include? Is that? Do you think he's just kind of being a little bit more vague, and it kind of is just an amalgamation of a six, or is there right. like a specific guy, like say, up until recently, Tanner Pearson, for example, who had been struggling to put some points on the board? Is he talking about that? Oh, yeah, was he it, talking it's t- about? It's, it's really tough because because the Canucks forwards are like you said are kind of structured in a way where like J T. Miller could one game play or for like six shifts out of a game play as a third line center. And I'm using air quotes, right. And he'll play with Highmore and Mott for like a couple shifts, like totaling, you know, four minutes of ice time or whatever. And then Hoglander will play with Pedersen and Garland for, you know, two minutes. So are they actually going by lines here because they're switched up so often? Or is he looking at like the score chart of, like all Canucks forwards and going, okay, uh, these bottom six players, which would be the Highmores, Moths, Dickinsons, Chiesons, Lamicos, are those the guys where, where he's like, okay, they're not pulling their weight here and they need to, 
you know, be replaced with younger guys who contribute more on the ice. Because I guess by that metric too, like Vasily Podkolzin doesn't really cross the 17 minute mark or the 19 minute mark, but he plays enough with Pedersen or Miller in the top six that he would technically be a top six player, even though his minutes would say he's a bottom six player. So I mean, for my money's worth, they do need to overhaul their top, their bottom six. And the the building blocks there are Hoglander and Pod Colson. If we were going to pigeonhole them as bottom six players, just based on minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I'm just looking what? at it right now. Tyler Mott has four points in 19 games played. And I had no idea he played 19 games played this year. Yeah, that seems high just because he came in late. He came in late because he was injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean that the, the point num- the points sound right for what Tyler Mott is. Like he's yeah. a shutdown guy. But, but it's shocking how many games as- he's played yeah. considering. Yeah, like uh, and uh, Matthew Highmore is another guy. Like he's been hurt for most He of was the injured game. most of the year, so it's like it's hard but to it's fault hard. him, but like like realistically, this would be his production anyway if he was healthy, where he's just like not really doing anything. And yeah. that can be said about Lamico. That can be said about Dowling. Like Dickinson's the real surprise because I think a lot of people expected a lot more yeah. based on the expectations laid on him by the previous regime where they were like, you know, he's going to be an elite two-way center, chip in a lot of offense and be a huge defensively responsible forward for us. And then he just does nothing. For, yeah. It's th- such that they bump him to the wing because it's just not working at all. Yeah. I want um one thing I did want to touch on like in terms of like the trade stuff cuz like uh, already there's been a lot of talk that like Jim Rutherford is a guy where it's like he's going to trade your favorites like he like that's the <laughs> yeah. that's the concern is yikes he is not a he is not afraid to trade everybody except for like two guys like that was what people were hazarding a guess at with him I would say like I feel like there's three untradeables on this team like uh, officially which would mm-hmm. be Pedersen Hughes Demko those are your three if those are your like official don't trades. Yeah. Um, and I, I was asked on the radio a few days ago, like they were at, like, it was kind of one of those things. Faber was asking me about trades, like, and stuff. And I think he was hinting more specifically at JT Miller. Right. And I, I answered as such, I have to ask the question, like uh, if you're, if we're talking about the bottom, if we're talking about improving the bottom six, is Miller not the guy to make, like if you wanted to make that kind of a trade, especially with how high his value is, is he not the guy to get that done? Because the way I look at it, I've said this before, like, I don't know if this is how scorching hot a take this is, but I look at like Nils Hoaglander, for example, and I kind of go like, this could be a guy who is kind of a younger JT Miller. Like you could kind of see him fitting that role that JT Miller plays on this team very easily with Mm -hmm. time. And I kind of look at the idea of like, well, why like he like Miller is clearly worth more value right now he's more you could in theory have your replace his successor ready to go and based on what Rutherford has been saying which is that we want if we're going to make trades the things that he said that he wants to get are either a picks and b younger players in particular those are the two things so I kind of look at Hoaglander and Pud Colson specifically as like guys where it's like you wouldn't want to trade those guys because they're kind of part of that next fit of taking over from the older guys. So do you see that kind of situation? Is that something that we should be keeping an eye on with Miller in particular or like Pearson maybe as well? Yeah, I think it'll it'll kind of come down to the right package that would have to come back in return for JT Miller just because he's 
he's carrying them so hard at 5v5 as their their utility jack of all trades i can play with anybody and produce type of guy and if they trade him not now i it would almost like be like they're committing to tanking a bit and, and that'd be really hard for the locker room. I think. That's a hard sell, right? Because the whole point of changing out Travis Green, changing out management was ownership telling them like, look, we w- know you guys are competitive and you want to succeed and go for playoffs. So you'd have to execute the trade in a way to l- ensure that you don't just like completely fuck up the locker room dynamics that exist currently, because we already saw it two seasons ago or whatever it was when Chris Tanev, Markstrom, Stetcher, all left is that they lost key guys in the locker room and the team felt slighted and confused at the direction of the club. They played like shit in the following season because, because of it, they signed Tanner Pearson because of it. They just wanted to show the players again, like, Hey, we, we understand locker room dynamics. We're not going to fuck you guys up even more. And this year it's kind of like they need to decide, like make decisions that would, probably fuck up the locker room dynamics like i'm sure you've heard all the people talking about trading bo horvat because he's due for a fit uh, a contract extension soon brock besser like he's struggled this year as well after a season where he was the team's number one forward and he's due for an extension after this year that they can't afford so the locker room is going to have to be imploded and the question is is it a JT Miller or is it a Horvat or is it a Besser? Which guy gets you the most and which guys don't implode your locker room? Because for all we talk about, you know, locker room chemistry, like one of the guys that the team would be banking on playing good again so that they could execute a trade of a key player and not really feel a hit is Elias Patterson. So they trade away Miller. And if Patterson still doesn't get his game together, then Bo Horvat's your number one C again. And we've seen before when Horvat is trusted with number one C capabilities, he cannot really do the hard matchups. He can, he just gets killed during them and he struggles mightily because of it. And uh, if you're banking on Pedersen to be his like rookie or sophomore form, like that's a big gamble for a team that, has a lot riding on it heading into next year. Like they can't afford to blow up their entire locker for the second year or second out of four seasons. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a fragile group in the trade market for sure. Right now, like in terms of like the actual, like on ice product has gotten much stronger for sure. Mm -hmm. But like, I do see the, the biggest thing that I worry about with any sort of trade right now with, with like the big name guys is yeah that locker room chemistry of like if you like if you're you're telling your players that suddenly oh we've traded our best player for this guy who's good yeah but not necessarily as good as JT Miller or whatever like that's gonna be very hard to tell the players but we're also like we're also all in on playoffs and like being as good as we can like that's that's impossible that's really like you can't really do both you can't have your cake and eat it too and that's it in that sense unless you're talking about like a season from now and i look at just like i look at the team like there's assets there that can get something done i do think it's going to take something of like being a little bit bold and taking a bit of a risk here and there mm-hmm. um and yeah like with miller with I, I i feel bad singling out miller but it really is just because of the fact that his value right oh, now his, his deal rocks so hard it's such a like 
Like you could cash in super heavy. You on could him like right now. A, you could like if you are if your player cards right, you could get a king's ransom for JT Miller, mm-hmm. and it would be a good trade where but and it would be a trade where you get exactly what you're looking for, and the other team does too. Like it's it's very much there, and I feel like with Miller in particular, like it's a it's a case of like the Canucks haven't spent necessarily like years on end building around this guy. Yeah. So they'd be more willing to say part with him to try and put something else together around the guys they have spent a lot of time and assets and resources developing, like like a Horvat, like a Pedersen, like a like a Besser. Mm-hmm. I, in particular, I think Besser would be tra- trading. Besser would be a bit of a mistake, just because I think he's better. Like, well, he he clearly was showing up until the COVID, uh, the COVID pause put him out that he was getting much better, and he was getting yeah, he- quickly back to being the Brock Besser we know, frankly, better than the Brock Besser than we know, frankly. Mm-hmm. Like, he was looking good coming out of that. Yeah, it's uh, it's all, like, the timing just being, like, completely off. Like, it's unfortunate for Besser, too, because, like I said, last year, he was, like, our top forward for the Canucks, and then he starts out the gate really, really slow this year, and everyone's kind of, like, I, I don't want to say, like, dismissive, but, like, everyone's kind of rude, like, and kind of, like, like last year sucked. Like, yeah, last season was horrible to watch. And the only yeah. like upside was Niels Hoglander being fucking awesome. And Demko. Brock Besser doing his goddamn best to try and buoy a struggling Elias Patterson and a struggling forward group. And he was fucking on fire. And then yeah. it sucks that like only a few games this season, like all of a sudden just reset everybody's brains to be like Brock Besser sucks. Get rid of him. He's overpaid. And it's like, no, Patterson, same thing. Like geez. Patterson too. Like the, okay. We should address this. Uh, no trading Elias Patterson. You'd be very su- yeah, please don't you'd do be, that. <laughs> like okay. Let's let's even like I yeah I get the whole like you know oh Wayne Gretzky got traded anybody can get traded. Let's Certainly. say that like yeah that's true that's totally true. But let's put it this way: you don't trade if you're gonna trade if you were to trade Elias Patterson you don't trade him when he's at his absolute worst value of all time. That is the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah. If you decide you're not a fan of him when he's putting up his best points and that's you decide that that's what needs to happen that's a different that's a different conversation yeah but i am not i am not with it on the whole the canucks are winning have won like nine of have won eight of nine and have nine point points in nine games in a row and all these people are like time to trade petterson he sucks. it's, it's like, like d- are d- you stupid no like, like do you no. understand why it's bad to trade when a player's value is at its lowest like yeah in theory like if like i'm here to like to hear all your perspective uh trade elias petterson for x package that's fine but you do it when he's playing good and his value is through the roof you don't do it when everyone's like oh he might not bounce back so therefore i'm just going to give you a high second round pick that's it yeah no like you're never you going to do that. You wait until he's worth until he's back to being worth a Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl package. You got to wait for when he's back to being as good good enough to trade just him for those two players because yeah, he is it, that good. <laughs> and, and honestly, like at this point too, like <laughs> say Jim Rutherford actually legitimately did was like, yeah, I'm trading Pedersen for you know a number one right shot defenseman or whatever. The unfortunate thing would be like if if Pedersen really was ever on the table the best thing they could have done would be trying to flip him for Jack Eichel when they had the chance. Like they should have been doing that. If they re- if they really did, if there was ever, ever any inkling for them to be like, we wanted to trade Patterson for the best value we can get, they should have been in on Jack Eichel. 
and even that might have been a hard sell considering that the Sabres got, you know, Alex Tuck, who's not obviously is not as good a player as Elias Pettersson, but then they also got on top of that Peyton Krebs. By the way, those yeah. two actually just uh, put together, I think both got their first points for the Sabres yes. on the same very, goal. With a very, very nasty tic-tac-toe play, which that was gorgeous. Uh, pretty, pretty unreal. You gotta love that. You gotta love the poetry. Yeah, you gotta that love one. that. Um, yeah, I think we're. I think ve- what I said as well on the radio when we were talking about this was very adamantly. The best thing right now the Canucks could, frankly, do is not trade anybody in a sense because, in a way, mm-hmm. it's almost like. And I think, and I think Jim Rutherford knows that better than anybody because when he's yes. been talking about the team, like he's like, I'm not sold on anything. I don't have a hard. A stance on what this team is yet because of covid because of yeah. how unreal uncharacteristically hot they've been of late like you mm-hmm. can't really judge what a team's flaws is and what makes them like everything about what makes them good and bad based on a team that's playing like the like on an insanely un like unsustainable clip like we've said before, yeah. it's hard for even President's Trophy winning teams to get 10, 9, 10 wins in a row. Like, that's mm. a very hard part they, to clear. They're, I don't want to say they're lucky, because obviously they are playing no, yeah. infinitely better than they were they're like, all clearly, season. They're clearly winning a lot of games on on fully on merit of being the better team. Yeah, but they're like there's obviously like the start of the season too. They were horribly unlucky. Like Pedersen like hit more yes. posts than like like double the amount of posts as the last guy or the second guy on the list. Like they were really unlucky to start. And now like Thatcher Demko's really good, but they are fundamentally very lucky to be getting like a 960 save percentage every single game out of their goaltender in his uh, first I've... year as the starter or second year, sorry, as the starter. Uh, like, speak for yourself. I saw that coming. No. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like he is yeah. very good and like, sure. Like a number one starter. Like if you're getting nine twenty save percentage, I don't know if they're winning eight out of 10 or whatever. Right. Or sorry. Uh, yeah. Eight oh, out of 10. Like, yeah. So cracking no, our cracking our are an example of that. Like we mentioned earlier, like mm-hmm. you can lose a lot of games just based on your goaltending, not being as good as it can be. Heck, a lot of times, like actually one of the running jokes of the NHL is that the Jack Adams award for coach of the year often is just, is just goes to the team that had the streakiest goaltender. Like that yeah. seems to be the the common thread among a lot of those teams. Yeah. And it, it also comes down to as well, like the Jack Adams is like, okay, how many players on that team carried guys entering contract years right or or like at the end of their contract looking for pay raises because speaking of seattle chris dreger had been like an ahl tweener his entire career and then he finally gets on a heater in florida coincidentally at the end of a league minimum contract and he earns himself a three million dollar pay raise for his next team and he sucks for them and so, like, you have to wait a lot of that. That's why I fucking love listening to James Rutherford's uh, hits with radio or for media or whatever he's doing because he's just, like, not buying any of it. He is fully aware of all of these different situations where he's like, yeah, we're playing good, a little lucky, but I'm not ready to judge. I'm itchy. I think he said he was, like, itching to, like, start making moves because he doesn't like his top bottom six, like, at all. So I, I, I like that he is being patient with his decision-making, but like recognizing and trying to be as upfront as possible with like the fan base to not buy into it. 
like it's weird not whereas like like over not to over over analyze what you're seeing like yeah like the, like the the last regime like if they went on a three-game win streak you'd be hearing jim benning or whoever going on radio and being like uh yeah everything's on the table we're looking at ways to improve our team for the playoffs right now we're looking and, at we're looking at trading all of our all our entire yeah. abbotsford farm team for um let's see who's who's who who's would available? be on the market for the for the in the in the free agency market this year who's the who's the tyler to foley this year oh, that man. is actually a, is it tyler actually, <laughs> is it tyler no because he's got th- he's got three more years left on his canadians deal which it's actually true. well to be fair the canadians are in a spot where they might be considered complete selling complete, yeah like actually you know what here maybe this is a question we can ask right now if the canucks were going to montreal to, to try and find somebody who you feel like would be a fit for next year rather than say this year. And you're not buying into the playoffs. Are you looking at say like a guy like, um like the one that I'm looking at is say somebody like a, like a Josh Anderson per se. Like, do you look at something like that? Can you it, get that done? <laughs> I mean, it honestly, the, I wish they had picked up Kale Clegg off of waivers when he, uh, that would have been a Kings very... organization. Cause he's on a cheap deal and he's like, like actually like a pretty legit like defenseman. He's just, was waiver eligible and they lost him. That but, is like, where they should be looking more than forwards. Yeah. Defense. Yeah. Correct. But like they're the Habs are in the same situation as this regime where like, they're not tied to any of the deals that were just signed by um, uh, Bergevin in the last like two seasons. Like they're not really beholden to keeping Christian Dvorak. They're not kept to, Tyler Toffoli either if they really wanted to try and trade him they could uh, same look. thing with like Edmondson or Ben Sherratt like Ben Sherratt's probably like their keep deadline trade deadline piece that they're gonna flip just because like you know he's a big body it's not too old deals kind of manageable and like he still plays pretty decently most of the yeah. time and their young core kind of like the Canucks situation right like they're not gonna trade Romanoff. They're not going to trade Caulfield. They're not going to trade Nick Suzuki. Uh, who Nick they Suzuki. Just gave a big they just signed. Yeah. So like, I, I you could argue they're in a better spot because if you look at their team, it's mo like a lot of guys are on IR right now. Like LTR, mm-hmm. they are very injured right now because Anderson, yeah, Dvorak, Toffoli, Edmondson, Armia, and Perot are all injured, and that's yeah. not including the LTIR that they're taking up with Paul Byron and Shea Weber. And also not including Carey Price, who's on yeah. leave with the NHLPA player assistance right now. So he's not included. But the majority of their team is made up by guys in the six who are in that six figure, like on their entry level contract deals. Mm. Like I'm looking at some of these names and they're got like some of these are guys <laughs> I've never heard of. Like who is Brandon Baddock? I have no idea who that is. That Raphael sounds like a- Harvey Pinard. I know okay. that guy. Uh, Brandon like Baddock sounds like a Mortal Kombat character. You would know more of these guys because they're yeah. Laval I've, Rocket, I've seen them sort of. Year. So, uh, like, uh, obviously Ryan Paling, that's a well-known one. Alex mm-hmm. uh, Belzil, Belzil, yeah. Belzil, yeah, uh, he's been around Louis, for a while. Louis Belpedio, Belpedio, like they've yeah. got, like their team is most. It's basically the Laval Rocket guys. right now. Yeah, yeah, it really is, and like, and then they've got obviously your big names like your Nick Suzuki's and your Cole Caulfield's, right? And mm. then Jonathan Drouin, Brendan Gallagher. Like, uh, like there's some, like there's, they're in a better spot in a way. Cause their cap is not as the partially due to unfortunate circumstances with carry, particularly with price and Weber, which were yeah. taking up a large 
portion of their cap. They're in a spot right now where they can kind of, where they have a lot more wiggle room to like get out from bad contracts and mm-hmm. kind of kind of find a way to fix some of these things. And even if they can't, like it's not going to kill them if they're still here kind of thing. Whereas right. the Canucks are in a spot where they kind of, they have to lose some money to bring some in again. Yeah. And that might, and that's going to involve trying to find big money deals to kind of like push out that you can to like open up space. And yeah, with the Canucks, like I do like that they're taking their time on it. I, I do mm-hmm. think that they should be looking at the trade deadline coming up as a good time, as a, as the advantage, because like I've said before, the reason why you make the, the deal, you make the management change earlier, sooner rather than later is because that trade deadline does play a huge element into what you do next year what's Mm -hmm. nice about it is that by the time that trade deadline comes around it's a lot easier to sell players to sell your own players on say making a deal that might sting a little bit in that short term because it's Mm -hmm. a case of like well if we know already what we are at this point nothing can fix that and nothing can fix that train kind of thinking kind of thing right you don't have to worry so much because then you can start being like look this year, it's the end of this year is going to be a little tough, but next year we are going to be way, way better for it. Yeah. And that's when you start looking into that. Um, but, but that being said, I mean, the Canucks don't play again until Saturday. And even that is potentially not going to happen either because Ottawa's yeah. game against the Kraken today got, um, postponed. got postponed because of COVID issues with the Senators. Mm-hmm. Canucks were already have a game against the Islanders that is no longer on the table. And the Canucks, and now that game on Saturday is in jeopardy too. The Canucks are looking at a situation right now where they potentially might not play, where they potentially won't play again until January the 11th uh, against in Florida against the Panthers. Uh, the I believe the league leading uh, Florida Panthers, unless I'm very much mistaken. Um, overall, like there is a timeline here. Sorry, they're they're fourth. My bad. They're two points behind the league. Do you know who the who the the the, the current number one team in the NHL is right now? I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess it's Carolina. You're very close. They're second. They're tied oh. for second. The actual answer, believe it or not, is the Washington Capitals. <laughs> that came out of naturally. Like, it, like there are one of those teams where like they could finish anywhere between first place and twentieth, and I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Like they're like they're they're a perennial playoff team. And they're like without Sovechkin, right? Like yeah, like they're just. I almost want to think like they're they're overperforming just for the sake of Alex Ovechkin's now in the Gretzky hunt. Like like that team isn't even like they're not even really looking for like they're not playoff trying ambitions. The they're just they don't really care. The record, they're yeah. just trying to get him to beat Gretzky. They could care. <laughs> completely elsewise about playoffs like they'll probably wouldn't even try in playoffs because they're like That'd we need them so rested f- for the regular season that would be inc- you know how incredibly funny it'd be if the capitals literally went on like like they did what the lightning did where they go they win the president's trophy immediately get swept out but instead of like it being like a oh they embarrassingly <laughs> lost like you, they like, celebrate you watch like, yeah! how, or they they like purposely like sit all their best players and play like yeah. an only AHL guy. They're like, oh, we gotta rest them up for the regular season. They're gonna put yeah, up yeah. like three hundred. Alex Ovechkin's gonna put up three hundred points next year. We need to have him rested and ready to go for that run. Ovechkin um, has fifty points in thirty four games <laughs> as like a thirty seven year old man. He's gonna catch him. Like that's our most pop- fun fact. That's actually for anyone who's not subscribed to the Creasecast YouTube channel. You should. 
Um, our number one most watched video of all time is our highlight clip of us talking about whether or not he could catch Wayne Gretzky. And you were a little, you at the time, I was very you were a little hesitant. bit more bullish. I think you've changed. Your I've changed because I, yeah, I mean, I, I always expected him like probably at his age, I was like, okay, he's probably going to be like, like an 18 to 23 goal scorer for the next like four years. Right. And it'll trail off just because of age, right? Like it's yeah. going to happen. He's kind of slowed down a bit, like in playoffs too. Like it's just like the way it's been. And then he pulls out, he's already got 24 goals in 34 games. (laughs) He's almost at a goal per game pace. Like what's that? Multiple hat tricks. Like the guy, like he is a freak. He's a complete freak. He is literally, he is like, he is Yarmir Yager. If Yarmir Yager was also like built like an absolute truck, like the guy, like, like Ovechkin is incredible. Like you and like I, t- we talked about this when we talked about this when we talked about it the last time we had this kind of little conversation. Was like for a guy who plays as physical as Alex Ovechkin does, he's weirdly incredibly durable. Like he has yes. not missed a lot of games in his and career. And there's been a ton of games this year too, where like I don't know if you've noticed, but like the people covering the games will be like. <gasps> Ovechkin took a big hit. He was holding his knee really awkwardly and, and uh, skated off the ice. And then you hear nothing about it. And it's just like, yeah, Ovechkin's uh, in the starting lineup. He'll be uh, uh, playing the game. Uh, no problems. And it's just yeah. like, what's he doing? Why, why like, are his knees like, like, why should be like impossible to break? I, I I just eat my leafy greens. Like, like that's, that's all it is. Like, he's just like, I just eat salad. Like, that's well, that really could be it with him. Uh, it could yeah. be dad. It could be a dad strength thing. Cause like, we're seeing a ton of videos of him with like baby Ovechkin, like practicing like hockey oh, and stuff. So maybe, cute. maybe it's just like dad strength stuff where he's just like, Oh man, I got to pay for this kid for the next like 20 years. I got to, I really got to start m- playing better so I can try and keep getting these one year deals with Washington so I can break Ovechkin's record. Like yeah. he's got, he's got bills to pay. Yeah. You know, what's incredible as well is the fact that he actually, like he only has 11 power play points. Like yeah, he's out of 50, ridiculous. that's like, yeah, it's not like he's getting it. It's yeah. not, these are not like uh calorie goal, like just like empty calorie goals. Like he's getting, he is routinely getting even strength goals, and he's yeah. that. Like he's in, he is incredible. Like uh, I honestly like, I don't think I've never been to a Capitals game. We might, you and I might have to make a a trip to see the Capitals play in Vancouver the next time they're here. Because frankly, like I don't know if we're ever gonna see a player like him again. He's no. kind, he's incredible. Like I've been, I've been pretty fortunate in my life to see a lot of guys play. I have not yet to see Ovechkin play live. I would, I feel like I kind of need to go see that at some point. Cause it's, it's unlike anything else. Yeah. It's like, that's why everyone was so upset when uh, Pittsburgh Penguins like came into town and Sid didn't play that one year. You yeah. Remember that? Was that this year? Or was that the year before? No, year? he could. No, he scored. I think he scored the last goal of the 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 Travis Green Jim Benning era. I think was, <laughs> oh. was it not or the game winner or something? Thank <laughs> you, Sid, Sidney Crosby. That's right, because you know what? It's the everyone was joking that it was Sidney Crosby's second most important goal in Vancouver at Rogers Arena after the <laughs> Golden Goal. Uh, like that was a that was a good one. Yeah, Cro- but yeah, there have been a couple times actually. Crosby. Crosby and Ovechkin, two famously very uh, – actually, that is the interesting thing. Ovechkin has scored less points against the Canucks than any other team in the NHL, believe it or not. Uh, interesting. Particular, 
Well, so it's particularly that's because um, uh, famously Ovech, the goaltender Ovechkin could not beat no matter what he did was Luongo. He yeah. had a very hard time scoring on Luongo. There's even a whole, there's a whole like sound bite of him on the bench being like, Oh, Luongo, I hit that guy. Like, <laughs> cause he could never score on Luongo. Luongo had his number for years. It was so funny. Uh, and kind of similar with Crosby too. I don't think he had much success against Lou either at the time. I remember yeah. he had that one incredible penalty it, shot save on Crosby, like the first time Crosby came to Vancouver. Like, yeah, that, yeah. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like the Mark Andre Fleury thing against the Canucks. Like he's just like has wins dating back to like 2004. Like they just cannot beat <laughs> Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, like there, yeah. You have the everyone has that building or like that yeah. guy that they can't beat. Um, speak on the on the polar opposite side of things so originally this started as us talking about like the week the canucks have off here mm -hmm. um the there are other teams playing obviously um right now the only game on the schedule right now is edmonton and the rangers playing at madison square garden it is currently two nothing for the rangers midway through the game uh, the oilers the oilers have are currently in their last 10 are two six and two uh, they have lost we two in a row in overtime, it. including both, including the second game or the, I forget it was the second game or the, uh, the game against the devils. They blew it in the late stages of the game. And then Mike Smith let in an absolute wobbler. Oh, from, that uh, one Jake was Hughes, so bad. Jack Hughes. Yeah. Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes. Uh, it was, uh, it was an absolute uh, knuckle puck that he should have had. Um, but that's, that's life when I, I, I don't understand the Oilers you, for the life of me. Like Okay. So you know what's really they had funny? time to go get another goaltender. Yeah, speaking of Seattle and goaltending, same with the Oilers. They didn't have to re-sign Mike Smith. Um really funny was that on Twitter it showed like I was scrolling through because I was watching a movie and it was like Mike Smith is back, baby. And I was like, Oh, I guess he made like a really good save. <laughs> oh no. And, and it was it was him bobbling the puck and losing the game. And I was like, oh, I get it. It's facetious. And then I was yeah, like, okay, it uh, all makes sense. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Like, because in my head, I, I was like, the joke. Because in my head, I was like, oh, Mike Smith has just always been Mike Smith to me. Like, he's always just like completely inconsistent and like rarely is actually good. So, like, it would make sense that like he's back to being like good back when he was like with Phoenix, <laughs> like yeah, he decades was like, ago. You know what he is? Like, because you know, the there's like the whole running joke with the with JT Miller in particular, where he will be like the most elite of the elite for like, three eight shifts and then he'll have one shift where he'll just have this terrible like, even giveaway, yeah. like this absolute get worst like awful giveaway like in a way that's that's been mike smith's career where he's like yeah. he'll go through these weird stretches where he is absolutely unbeatable by for everybody and then he'll go through this where he'll just let in like a couple of softies and like that, in quick succession and lose games single-handedly. Like yeah, I've never that's seen the, anything like it with a, from a goaltender who plays as much as he does. I, I, I think the only equivalent I would say is Pekka Rene because Pekka Rene would have mm. a season where he would be unbelievable and then choke in the playoffs. And then the next season he would be okay in this regular season, then be lights out in the playoffs and he, that would be his entire career as a Pred, just completely flip-flopping whether he was the reason they were doing well or the reason they were terrible. And it was yeah. just like on and on and on until he finally retired uh, last season. Yeah. And at least in Pecorino's case, he could make the argument that he at least helped like revitalize the Predators franchise entirely. Like he has the yeah. whole, 
I saved this franchise like from near bankruptcy at one point for being as good as I was in the early yeah. parts of my career. And now he's getting his jersey retired, I believe, this year. Like, yeah. like I don't Mike Smith, I don't think is getting that from the Oilers. Like we talked, nope. <laughs> we touched on this, I think, briefly on the last full show we did, where we talked about kind of like the body language with the Oilers and how they're kind of a team that famously when the going gets tough they kind of fold in they, they like, implode be, a bit yeah because that's all they've known for as long as the oilers have been around yeah and like i don't know again i'm not re- look i'm not ready to like write off an oilers team ever really because as long as they have mcdavid and dry playing at full health like there's nothing you can never fully say oh they're cooked entirely like the season's over for them because for all we know those two could go out of their way and magically turn in, like magically put up 400 points over like 40 games. Yeah. And suddenly the Oilers have, like have like number one in the NHL sewn up just because of those two. Yeah. But with Edmonton right now, I look at the Oilers as clearly the most vulnerable team that the Canucks could leapfrog into a playoff conversation. Like, I don't think LA is necessarily going to like, I think, I think LA provides a little bit more of a formidable option there just because of what their design is and how they're not. So they're not top nearly as top heavy. There's still a little bit of a flight risk because a Jonathan quick is old now. And like, uh, they don't have like the horses necessarily to keep up like they used to. Mm. Anaheim is definitely going to fall down to earth at some point. I would say eventually, I think Anaheim, slipping out of the out of contention is your best bet out yeah, of the like, four that uh, are there like are they really the second best team in the pacific division no. like i no. find that hard to believe hard so no. I, like i could definitely see them slipping edmonton slipping just because like what are they they are uh, once again they are a team reliant entirely on mcdavid and dry outscoring their way to victory and it's just it's never going to work. It looked like at the beginning of the year because they had Zach Hyman who was doing really, really well. Kaylor yeah. Yamamoto, like the N- Nugent Hopkins, like and though I remember writing about their pet PK where they had the where they had like some of their guys who were playing in their top six, like they had them playing PK minutes, and suddenly the Oilers had a weirdly good penalty kill and like mm-hmm. were like top five in the NHL. And now you're looking at them and it's kind of just like they're, I don't think they're particularly injury injured right now. I think they're relatively healthy as far as most teams go. They act, oh, let's see here. Like just taking a look. So, okay. So they're missing. Well, no, they're not missing really much difference. Like Chris Russell probably hurts a bit, like on your defensive side of things. Uh, but other than that, like Oscar Clefbaum, who's been injured for a while. Yeah, uh, he, Alex, I think he was out. He's on season opening injured reserve. Like he's yeah, not even he, shown up. He hasn't up. played. I don't think for. I don't think he's played in the last two three three years. Seasons. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's been a very long time. I remember when Oscar Clefbaum was like considered like the best potential like trade bait defenseman yeah. in the league because of his under because of how undervalued he was mm-hmm. at the time. And then like the last guy who's not injured who's injured is Alex Daylock. Like and he's third string goaltender. Like that's yeah. not really anything. They're, they're a team that's mostly got everything they've got, er, mostly got everything they mm-hmm. can want in their group right now. And I don't really know what to, what to do with them. Like they, I think they're, it's one of those things where you have to hope they've built enough of a foundation to ride it out and to find a way that they can like claw back into the, Hey, we're not just two guys. We're not just yeah, a two guy we're team. We're more or, than that. We are more than that. We are at least three to four. 
Do, like, there has been talk about the idea of like uh, Dave Tippett might be on thin ice there. Do you see that and as the as a potential here, especially tonight? I, with, like, I could definitely the see them making a change after tonight and being like, Travis Green's available. We're going to go for him now. Oh my he, God. Because if there's a coach that understands how to get a lot out of his young players, it's Travis Green. And we've got a lot of young guys conceivably coming up the pipeline that we need to get better results out of so i guess i could see them trying that that'd be maybe it'd be very funny like especially like just the division rival thing like that would be so funny yeah knowing knowing ken holland i feel like he's probably gonna go for like a claude julian like or that kind or, of a or he's gonna go to his oh, buddy from uh detroit mr mike babcock oh, uh, i mean hey look if he wants to bring in Mike Babcock, go ahead. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, if a division rival wants to bring in this very problematic coach, that's, as a Canucks fan, that sounds like a great idea. Go for it. No. Well, a part of me wonders, like, like, when we got rumors at one point that the Canucks had reached out about hiring, um, uh, not Bill was Peters. Was that was the That was the out there. No, uh, sorry, it was uh, Dale Talon, and the yeah. league the league stepped in and said, "Yeah, you're not allowed to hire Dale Talon. Like, it's just not a good look. It's not the right time. Like, you're just not going to do it." Which good on the league? Good on the league. Embarrassing that they needed to step in and say, like, potentially, yeah. Hey, optically, this is a horrible look. Don't do this. So I wonder if they would have that kind of sense to do the same for Mike Babcock. But that mm, by that same token. Mike Babcock, for whatever reason, even though he should probably never coach an NHL game again, he has this like allure to old hockey men and old hockey media that love to prop him up like he's some kind yeah. of saint. Uh, case in point, that Pierre Lebrun like rehab article where Mike Babcock basically didn't apologize and just said like I am who I am. Deal with it. And apparently also talks almost like he's Elmo, where he's like, Mike Babcock <laughs> yeah. only took... Mike Babcock is a good guy. Mike Mike Babcock knows what's up. Uh, like, Mike like, Babcock would love to return to play for Mike Babcock hockey. Yeah, what? like... Yeah, like, exactly. Like, uh, there was once... A, you know what was a really good article? There was an article written while he was still coach of the Leafs. I think it was by Sean Fitzgerald, I think, was of The Athletic, I think, wrote it, talking mm -hmm. about what is Mike Babcock's accent? Because they couldn't <laughs> figure it out. Because it's not a natural Saskatchewan accent by any stretch. It's like some other weird it's thing. It's some weird amalgamation yeah. or, like... Yeah, he he talks like his like he's gritting through his teeth because like he's in tremendous back pain or something at all hey, the time. Uh, good player, so he good talks player. like this the whole time because he's in you so know, much agony. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the like, um, I yeah, the other thing is like with da with with the comparison of Talon in there. Mm -hmm. Like the other thing is like with Dale Talon, there wasn't really like, it's not like with Dale Talon, people are always hearing about, Oh, he wants a job again. Like he's uh you're not hearing that with him. It's very no. quiet on that front of like, Oh, like of people in Dale Talon's corner trying to get him back into NHL jobs again, clearly. So clearly there's kind of a, it, it seems in a way like there's a, whether there's smoke, there's fire kind of situation in that regard. Right. Whereas with Babcock, there seems to be this constant stream of people ready to like they're just they're ready just to, put, to stick their neck out for him. Yeah. Which is interesting. 
And I don't yeah. know what, and I don't know why that's the guy that people want to hang their hat on. If it does, it just have to do with the fact that he won Olympic gold medals. Does it just have to do with the red, the one cup he won with the Red Wings? But like, I don't know. It is but very I bizarre it's because it's it's very bizarre because like a lot of media guys do have like favorites and they have relationships with coaches because they're good with them or provide good answers. And it's like all that you ever knew, those all you yeah. ever knew about from his time in Toronto was how much of an asshole he was to media and how how like staunchly against answering questions he was. So it's like, what, what would a hockey media person get out of like vouching for Babcock's character to come back in the league? Like you get nothing yeah. out of it. Yeah. It, it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing that this is like, this is particularly the coach where people are going to tr- hang their hat on trying to yeah. like really try and get back in. I, I, again, I think there are much better options. Like, it's not even just like forget putting aside all the problematic stuff about him. I frankly, I just think even on just like a pure hockey standpoint, there's got to be better options out there available for you, like in the AHL ranks. Or I think, yeah, like who's already an assistant coach on an NHL bench right now. Yeah, like to your point, like I don't even think he was that good in Toronto with the guys that he had, and I think he proved oh, that he God, no. was out of date and didn't understand the game as it was progressing. Like in that final playoff series when he had benched Austin Matthews in like the final two minutes of the game. Yeah, it made he, no sense. He, it proved he, he didn't understand. Played. Yeah. Like he, he didn't play the last like two minutes nursing a one goal deficit and it was like do or die. And so yeah. instead he put out like, he, he was put rolling out, um, four lines through game seven. Like, it's like, yeah, why would you ever do that? You don't have, a, you have, you have not only Matthews, but you have Nylander, you have Marner. Yeah. You have you are clearly a team with a bet with a top with a clear top six, a good and a good bottom six for that matter, but a mm-hmm. clear top six. You should be absolutely double shifting those guys in the final minutes against Boston when you're when you're down by a goal. But yeah. no, you just kept going, what line one, line two, like three. Yeah. Like you can't roll lines in that point. You have to and, switch things up. And, and he then, didn't. He wasn't right. He's the, not good anymore. And the same uh people that were vouching for him to come back and get an NHL job didn't have the stones to ask him why he wasn't playing his star players in the final minutes. They were too scared to. So it's like, I don't know why you would want him back. I'm good. I want Travis green in Edmonton for the memes and the lulls. I want to see uh, like just the first, like this, the Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers still haven't even played a seat game against each other this season. Have they? No, they played one. They have played two. Like at the they start played, of the year or whatever, the maybe? The first game against the... They played the first game of the season against each other, and then one game, I think, in the first homestand. It was okay. like a 2 nothing loss on, like, Hockey Night in Canada. It was in a good game. Okay. Yeah, it so, was right when the team was just coming back off of bat, the bad first road trip. So, yeah, they played yes. two. They just were so, very uneventful. So they play again on the 25th against the Oilers. So imagine, oh, wow. after this break they like say they lose tonight against the Rangers, which it's kind of tracking to be. They fire Dave Tippett and they hire Travis green. That means we get two weeks of buildup or three weeks of buildup to a potential Boudreaux green rematch, the rivalry to end all rivalries. Like that'd be great. Give me the spice. Yeah. Give me some spice to like close out the year heading to the trade deadline. You know I what mean, I mean? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the spice at that point is going to be the Canucks are now in front of the Oilers in points. Can they build the lead? Because again, like, yeah, you got this week, and you're, okay, the other, yeah, the the Ducks are the other one, right? Like, the Ducks are currently, if we're looking strictly at points percentage, which in a way is what everyone should be looking at right now, rather than what the points on the board say, because. Mm-hmm. 
everyone has played such a wavering difference of games that it yeah. really does come down to who has played the most and who's played the least and what in that time frame. The Ducks, so the Ducks in particular, they have 41 points right now. The Canucks only have 35. So there's a there's a gap there. There's a clear there's a clear six point gap, but they have played 35 games. So they've played one more game than the Canucks. So there is a situ there is a situation in there where you see where if the Ducks keep kind of t ticking back downwards into trending back into be into more what they're supposed to be, there is a window in there where you look at it like, okay, that's your team. That's your team that you claw that you have to jump over to get into the playoffs. And that's why winning games against the Ducks like they have in the recent in recent yeah. days really is going to be key. I think you're yeah. looking at them at them as your your best your best hope of leapfrogging into the playoffs. The Oilers might have the bottom fall out from underneath them entirely, but again, with with when you have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl as like two of the best players in the entire sport, yeah. like you're 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 that's that's banking on a lot still mm -hmm. in a way. I think yeah, I think you got to look at like Anaheim as like the clear like um as the like the clear weak link there that you could maybe get in past and it's got, but you, that means continuing to win games against your division rivals. That means, yeah, that means winning games against teams like Vegas. That means winning teams against Calgary. I think who they have not, who they haven't played this year. I don't believe I don't. Yeah. Think I, don't, they, I don't think they have yet I think, either. I think, I think that's, so. this has been one of the weird ones where the Canucks have yet to play Calgary once all season. Yeah, their uh, first game against them is the 29th of January right now. Yeah, and then they'll play them probably, I believe, like maybe like three, four times in the final month, in the final couple months of the season, in the final like four months of the season. So like, Correct. yeah, that's going to be your big, that's going to be your ticket in. The Sharks, obviously, you have a game postponed against them at some point. That's going to factor in. The mm -hmm. Ducks are also a, a, a postponed game. You're going to factor that in as well. Like there are a lot, most of the games that the Canucks have currently on the postponed calendar are team against Pacific division rivals. And that's going to be your, those are those big swing games that can make the hugest difference into whether you get into that wild card or not. So let's mm -hmm. see what they can do with that. Like as they get into that point. Yeah. Uh, keep beating the uh, Seattle Kraken. They got one more match against them. Like at the end of the year, just keep doing oh, that. Oh, That's going to come in handy. Like that will, like if you win, if you sweep that season series, like that could be a massive, make a massive difference into like that final point or two because yeah. the Kraken are bound to beat somebody. Mm -hmm. So like, are bound just don't to let it be you. Just don't let it be you. Bingo. Yeah. Don't yeah. let it be you. Um, I guess since we kind of roundabout uh, talked about the Seattle Kraken, we'll quickly shout out uh, Nadia Popovich. Yes, uh, this the, is the Infinity Gauntlet. Here we go. This is the Infinity Gauntlet winner to yeah. the helpful medical student who spotted a cancerous mole on the back of the Canucks equipment manager, Red Hamilton uh, on the back of his neck did like, I don't know. She like went on her phone and typed up a big message in bright color, uh, colored letters saying, get the, uh, your mole is cancerous, get it checked out. And which is like, which is like, uh, I mean, pretty insane that you would a spot it and then B manage to get that person's attention and see it actually turning out to be a cancerous mole as well and help saving this guy's way. life. And yeah. we, I mean, we won't, we don't have time to get into like how the donations made by the Kraken and the Vancouver Canucks are like nothing relative to the cost of being a medical student. 
But kudos to both franchises for contributing $10,000 towards her t- tuition. That'll yes. at least cover her for maybe it, one semester. It goes, some, it, maybe it goes a long way. Like, I don't know what her scholarship standpoint, like her scholarship story is or anything like that. But right. It's not nothing. Like, it's absolutely not nothing. Like, it's uh, like, I'm never one to like, you know, shame, like to like shame in those particular cases, like of like just doing like the right thing and like, you know, giving mm-hmm. money to somebody who literally, yeah, going to medical school is clearly out to make a difference a good difference in the world for what yeah. they do like she's 22 and, and she's, she's already made a, a difference yeah. in one yeah she's already saved rocks. a life yeah she's already saved a life before she's even set foot in a medical in her in uh in her medical program that's incredible and that's like that's the kind of good people that you want to like reward with like like yeah. and you want to see go and succeed in life and give them every opportunity to get there. So yeah, kudos to her. Like that was, that was very wonderful. That was a very touching. That, story. that was a story. I was not expecting to wake up and read on uh, the, ga- the game day or whatever. They found her quick, like on Facebook, was the big all thing. places too, which was, yeah. which was great. It was like perfect timing because it was like the story had come out the morning of their game against Seattle. And it was like, bing, bang, boom, found the lady's mom, found the girl, Gave, wrote the checks, did the video with uh, the woman meeting Red Hamilton before the game, had the tribute video thing for the actual in-game uh, uh, events so that they could shout it out to the crowd. Uh, yeah, so kudos to them. And yeah. nice to have some like actually like I've... completely unrelated to hockey type stories happening yeah. in hockey. Like that's something's like, bigger uh, than hockey. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's a good uh, change of pace. Um, yeah. I really like the video. Can I just say like, you know, like not to like, you know, shout, but like uh, kind of shout out to like whoever made like the, the, like the social team or whatever on that video. I like that they didn't like when I watched it, I was kind of expecting more of like a very, like, like a very like edited video, like a very edited down like video of like, Oh, just like uh with like some mu- jangly music behind it kind of thing. Cause that's usually what is done in like those kinds of cases. I really liked watching that video in terms of like, it was just the raw conversation of them meeting and everything and talking about it. Like they didn't clip, they didn't cut anything. They didn't clip. They didn't change anything about it. They literally just put it up as it was. And it was a very, I think that in itself was a very, made it a very good, a very real video. And I liked that. And I appreciated that from the social team for doing it that way. Like, yeah, I that was it didn't, really yeah, it didn't feel like scripted or like anything. No. It just felt like a natural conversation between two people who are like, well, obviously one very appreciative of what the lady did. So yeah, kudos to her good um, on that. Other than that winter classic, did you happen to watch any of it? I, I watched did. a bit of it and I got too cold. So I turned it off. You got too cold from watching in your, I got, home. I got, I got a contact cold. So I stopped watching it. Nice. I, I watched it. Um, I am, I gotta say, like, I'll say this, you know what? Like they've been doing the winter classics now since 2008. And like, and then there was of course the original like heritage classic that one off between the Oilers and Canadians in like Oh three. Mm. and like, they've been doing outdoor games uh, for so long. And I gotta say like, even this long into the process, I'm still like a total sucker for those games. Like I still find them really fun. Like really entertaining. Uh, yeah. When it's not Chicago, which is yeah, when it's ask. not, when it's not Chicago, Chicago has Chicago's due. They haven't played in like five years. Like, yeah, it's, it's time to bring them back. No, they're going to get seven in a year. Now they're going to get, just... they're going to get seven. Like they'll just play their whole season at the, whatever the Chicago bears. Yeah. Yeah. Is. Um, I um I put a, I posed the question on Twitter about a winter classic between the Canucks and the Kraken because I 
I think like a lot of people naturally think that's the natural next step here is that mm-hmm. you're going to get a, a winter classic between the Canucks and the Kraken, the Kraken in Seattle yeah. in particular. So, and the question being like, would you rather have the game at Lumen Field, which is where the, the Seahawks play, uh, or and the Sounders as well, or uh, T-Mobile Park where the Mariners play? I don't know about you, but personally, I am a bigger proponent of T-Mobile. Of, of the, the baseball Mar- field? Of the baseball field, yes. Because I often, like, whenever I look at, like, the atmosphere of those games, I think that really plays into it. And sure. I feel like I feel like the problem with, like, putting it in the football field while it might have like the better sight lines mm-hmm. is that it kind of loses like the care, like the actual like character of the game a little bit. And it's more just sure. about, Oh, big stadium with a lot of people. Like, whereas like, I think with like the, whenever they're on the baseball, like the ballpark diamond, yeah, they do a lot more like scene setting kind of thing around it. And like the atmosphere in itself is a lot more entertaining. And I think it sets up like the like they had the thing in this game where like out in the outfield they had the players walking out of like a log cabin like to the to the rink. And then they had like uh yeah, one was... of the things I read is they had like taken Christmas trees that had been recycled um, uh to to put in the areas around it the the park around the park to like kind of like uh make some like barriers and like that they needed to to like uh for like sight lines and views and stuff like that. And then they had like six rinks of like people playing shinny around the yeah. around the original. And it was like, oh, this is rink one. And then the other rinks. So it was yeah. like, and it was, it was, yeah, and it was a cute, it was a very cute setup that they had there. And I thought that was like awesome. And you can't do that as well in the football, <laughs> in the football stadiums because there's not as enough, yeah, as fair. much space. It's, it's a I don't bit know tighter, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I like the idea of like just like the sight lines. And obviously, I think there's, there's a lot more like recency bias. Like there's more success with the Seattle uh seahawks franchise so it would make more sense to have put it in an arena where there's like been success whereas instead of like throwing it in mariners field like almost feels like like a bad omen because it's like (laughs) they've been so bad for so long and such an irrelevant franchise that you would want to put it where there was a championship yeah yeah yeah. it's like the same thing like if you, you couldn't host it in vancouver because it's like the last time they had a winter classic or whatever went about as badly as any winter classic could go for a franchise so it's like you have to do it in seattle and you have to do it at the winning franchise even though it loses that the charm as you say yeah also there's no other stadium to put a game in vancouver other than bc place and i don't think they want to do a second game in the same stadium again right like i don't think they've done any i don't think they've done a repeat yet like they've done repeat cities but no repeat uh stadiums i don't believe yeah i think think they change it every time I think yeah. I think once you get in the the um the habit of repeating stadiums, that's when you've worn out your welcome of the Winter Classic, right? Like a, you need to keep bit, it yeah. fresh, right? It has yeah. to be new. Yeah. I there was that one point where uh, when they were renovating BC Place's roof and they had the outdoor uh, football field like right next to the P and E Empire like, Field. That's right. Yeah, like that would have been pretty cool as like an outdoor like yes. arena, possibly if you could do it in you know, January, February or whatever, yeah. when you know there's not rain, but of course yeah. hard to plan in that. Like another 10,000 people in there somehow. Cause yeah. that was, that was the big thing. Like had they just, they just, I think like had the NHL looked at it, like that was the other thing, the Canuck, what's suck. One of the things that I'll never forgive the NHL for is they completely missed the Canucks window of when they were at their best to give them an outdoor game. And yeah. by the time they finally got to them, it was too late. They were already with, they already had, were well through, well into the John Tortorella year. So they, they were, they were in like the window. awkward year, right? Where it was just yeah. like, 
it couldn't have been worse timing for the it franchise the to have like here. yeah this like spotlight thrown on them and of course when it finally is on them the coach makes a decision that will decision go down in history and be yep. brought up for the end of ages i will basically. never not forgive him for for not for uh not starting lou in that game embarrassing hey. Neither yeah. will Lou, man. Neither will yeah. Lou. <laughs> Neither will Lou. Uh, I, that's gonna. Uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you. So there's the the stadium series. There's the one. I believe there's a stadium series game coming up against the between the Lightning and the Predators, and mm. there is a there's a, also Heritage Classic between the Leafs and the Sabers. I think is coming up as well. Uh, but particularly, what's interesting is talking about teams that like you miss the window sometimes. They got they get to the Lightning just in time. They've won yep. two cups now. They're the, but this, yeah, this is their first outdoor game. There are outs, they are the 27th team to play in NHL outdoor game. And I have a, a small, a small test for you, which okay. is, so there are five remaining. There are five teams that have yet to play outdoors. One is obviously the Kraken. They mm-hmm. are the, they, cause being the first year, who are the other four? Oof. I'm going to guess. I'll give you, God. we'll give you, we'll give you, we'll give you, we'll say, so, since there's four teams, I'll give you six, I'll give you six chances here to try and name your four. Okay. I'm going to guess the one at a time. Go one at a time. Let's go Florida Panthers. Correct. Um, ooh, I'm going to have to say the Islanders. Incorrect. They have, they played in a 2014. They played in a stadium series. Game oh, at Yankee okay. Stadium. So San Jose Sharks incorrect as well no. you're on they what? played a stadium series game 2015 against the kings they're they're at, at a levi stadium in santa Clara where the 49ers play okay so sorry this is the five right. this is the five teams then four, that... there are four teams that have not played a game that besides the kraken being the okay. kraken are already out of here four oh. established teams that haven't played one is florida you're uh, down here you're down you're on carolina that is correct. They Ooh. were going to get a game this year, but they ended up at, asking to have it moved to next year. So they will be in there next year, but uh, that's Col- two Columbus. Correct. That's three. And One Arizona. More. Yeah, you got it. There yeah. you go. That's your four. Nah, I, I, you scared me there for a second. You were down to your last strike there and yeah, yeah, but you pulled it out at the end there. The, you know, what's really fascinating. So I like, uh, Columbus in particular is an interesting one because I was thinking about. I'm like, it is weird that they haven't gotten a game, like in a sense. I was like, I was like, there's probably some big stadiums that they can play in, right? And I realized that literally in Columbus they have the Ohio Stadium, which is where the Ohio State Buckeyes play football. Yeah, that building holds 104,000 people. Yeah, so how why have they not they? played a game there yet? Like, I get well, that they're a small market hockey team in particular you could, and that might be i mean you worry. could sell tickets to the the university for like five bucks and pack the entire place and it doesn't you fucking can, matter and you can sell people on the oh my god this is a stadium that fits a hundred thousand people people are going to watch that game for that alone yeah. like they did that with the the game in ann arbor at a uh, university of michigan like maybe that's your ticket in is you go in with like, all right, it's jackets versus like red wings or like penguins or something like you give it like a rivalry that kind of sticks in the Ohio area. Like I think, yeah, I think like the Cleveland Browns and the Steelers have like a pretty heavy, like NFL rivalry. So maybe, mm-hmm. so yeah, you go with like the penguins versus the, the, the blue jackets at that building. You'd sell that whole building out and it would be a good game too. Like yeah. I'm shocked that they haven't gotten there yet. Well, NHL going to NHL, baby. That's the way it do. Um, 
otherwise, we wanted to quickly touch on a little personal news because oh. <laughs> the Crease cast got up to some activities today. We, we did. We did a crease skate with friends of the program, David Quadrelli and uh, Riley Miner, who yes. follow, it, follow them on Twitch because uh, I only picked up skates because I was following Riley's uh, Twitch account and uh, watching them play goalie. And I was like, man, you I don't what? follow that. I need to. Yeah, it's it's really I don't know. It was really fun. I was just like, oh, I want to get a pair of skates and all the pond hockey. I was like, man, I haven't done it in so long, but I, I might as well like just do it now while it's freezing fucking cold and there might be still like rinks available or ponds or whatever where i can practice skating again and uh so you you are a more frequent skater than i so i'll let you be the judge how did i look in my first skate since 2003 i when you you were a child (laughs) again considering like yeah considering all of that like yeah you looked great for like that like considering how long it's been since you've skated the fact that like you know i i honestly went in expecting you to be like like a, the board grabber like i expected you kind of be like all right i gotta like hold myself up here but nope you were so did skating. i <laughs> yeah there you go you were full nope you fully had you're fully able to like just skate on your own you were totally like going at your own pace there like you you, you didn't fall once yeah uh you did you did your you, you did i, the I almost ate complete shit <laughs> in like the final three minutes of the free skate yeah, <laughs> somehow managed to regain my balance, which was honestly more impressive than the fact that I was just like staying upright at all. Yeah. Was that I didn't fall at that moment because I had no bearings whatsoever. So that was pretty fun. But yeah, you looked really good. Like you were on, and also like add on to it, you were in brand new skates that you have not had like fitted for your foot yet. Yeah. And so like, and that in itself adds a whole other element to it, where you have like you're not used to those skates. It's not like you've been. It's not like mine, where like. My skates are a decade old. I've been yeah, using them like every, yeah, they're very, very worn in. I think I got them like I got them baked on my foot like in back in 2013. So oh, like yeah. they're they're very much like well-loved, well-used pair of skates. So I they're I know them pretty well and I'm comfortable skating on them. And also, you know, goalie skates. Uh, like I was talking to, I was talking to quads about it before is that like my skates are goalie skates. And one of the things is if you don't know the difference with between player skates and goalie skates is that uh, not only is the blade like a little wider because mm-hmm. for a goaltender, you're much more like in a, you're obviously your pads are yeah. tilted in. Yeah. So you're going to always be kind of like not fully on top of your blades. Like you are mm-hmm. like a player is, yeah. Um, they're also a lot flatter. So it's a lot easier for me to like go out and like public skate and stuff and like easier to keep my, your balance on a flat blade. Whereas like the player blades are kind of curved. So there's right. a little bit more like of a, of a rounded edges of rounded edges at the, on your front and back. Mm-hmm. That's a, and that's tough to learn when you haven't skated like that much. Like it, that's, that's one of those things where like, it can sometimes mess people up that they're not used to, they're not used to skating on like kind of a wobbly skate but no you looked really good you look comfortable out there you thanks. didn't thanks bud you were you were making the turns you didn't yeah you didn't i didn't hit i didn't any I, kids. I bumped into one kid but that was their <laughs> fault because they skated to the bench right in front of me like at full they, they speed cut, they, cut, they, they completely cut, cut me off at the last second and yeah. yeah i didn't the kid didn't cry so that and they that's the important so that's, that's the important part that's the like, important part i didn't embarrass myself in front of like their parents or anything so yeah. <laughs> i had that going for me yeah uh, there you otherwise, go I think we're going to we're yeah, going to probably make that a regular occurrence so long as the current protocols allow it. Yeah. It was a bit weird 
being in like a very crowded area everyone was wearing masks and like yeah. mostly distance but it did feel like kind of bizarre that it was yeah. still open in general yeah. i'm thinking we're gonna we're gonna try and i'm gonna try and plan a way to get cody and i and maybe and maybe the uh the the others as well if they want to come with us uh up to like the there's the the there's the the pond up in north van uh, yeah. that i believe is frozen enough right now at least for the next little week or so where you can go skate or you can go skate outdoors. And that's like yeah. one of those things that's like, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily quintessentially Canadian. Well, it is, it's pretty Canadian, it's pretty but like Canadian. in Vancouver, it's a rarity. You don't really yes. get like for, like for anyone who's not from Canada that listens to the show or like not from Vancouver, uh, which there are some shout yeah, out to if you, you guys. If yeah. some of you are from like, I don't know if you're living yeah. in the Columbus area or something, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Colorado, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's like it is like Van it is very rare in Vancouver that we get it that it gets cold enough here for rigs for like ponds and like river and lakes to freeze over. It often yeah. is a little bit too it, it snows usually at least once every year, but like it never stays sustainably cold enough for mm -hmm. the rinks to like stay frozen enough that people can skate on it without it just cracking underneath you and breaking. Um, and like, even this time around, like there have been a couple like rinks where they're like, where the park boards are like, Hey, uh, it's yep, not, it's not thin enough. It's, it's too thin. Please don't go out there. And people are kind of just ignoring it anyway. Yeah. But no, I we've actually like, got um, a few areas. Yeah. There was like, I think it was like city of Coquitlam was like, they had a bunch of people being like, Oh, there's people, there's pesky oh, yeah, children Echo on Lake, the Como Lake, Como oh, yeah, Lake. Yeah, yeah. And they're playing hockey, and I thought you said it was too thin. And they just replied, and they're like, "Yeah, it is too thin. We'll let our park staff know how dangerous it is. Like they just don't care because they just know people are going to find a lake, and if it's frozen enough, they're gonna play. Like, just yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you can only do, you can only dissuade people from going out there so much. Like, yeah, you can say, you can tell them all they want that they can't go, but they might just jump over anyway and if something they fall in it's kind of their fault yeah, it's like, oh well it's like we told you i don't warn you i don't we know what to say but like yeah north van in particular it's it's a little bit more up and it's like an elevation it's huge too and it's right? huge so yeah like you can go out there there's no like there is no uh there is no like thing of like oh you it's too thin they're like nope it's totally uh it's totally frozen enough for you to jump jump out there with skates you will be fine there won't be yeah. any you will not jump through so hopefully we can get cody out there for some skating because then at least the big thing also is like obviously in public skates you can only you only can go out there and skate like in your skate helmet and that's it right yeah. whereas like you go out to the open lake open lake you can actually bring gear you can bring a puck you can bring whatever I, yeah i want to so we might have to go out there i'll get my uh get my goalie equipment out for the first time in two and a half years and uh oh, let's yeah. see if cody can get some pucks past me or something we'll see what we could do i mean I'm going to say that I can probably do the Michigan, even though I've never tried it. So I will try that on you. you can score do, first thing. You can do, I mean, if if we don't have a net, you're going to be able to, of course, you'll be able no, to do well, the Michigan because then it'll be like, ha just in the air, I did it. Like, we'll, we'll pretend there's a net behind you and I'll do a pretend Michigan that there's all right, around you. Sounds but, good. I, I look forward to meeting that challenge. Yes. Otherwise, folks, this is probably the end of tonight's crease cast or yeah. morning this morning whenever the fuck you listen to it who cares um <laughs> <laughs> i don't care when you listen it's to it. 6 p.m when listen. we're recording yeah. it's it's 6 p.m we're very tired uh i <laughs> speaking of the skate i skated without having eaten anything or drank in any water so when i got home and i got out of in my like parking or my parkade i was like oh god my bones <laughs> 
my poor bones. <laughs> your, your poor bones. It's a workout. It's a great workout. Fortunately, yeah. Fortunately, I'm like all calves and all thighs, so like I didn't feel it there at all. I only Same. felt it in my hips. So I I was very appreciative of that. But anyways, folks, if you want to support our uh, hockey uh, skating adventure, subscribe to our Patreon where we have one dollar and five dollar tiers. Even if at one dollar, you are supporting fifty percent of our entries to public skates, and that means the world to us. So check right. that out. Check it out. Patreon.com/slash/creasecast. I am Cody Sievertson, as always, on Twitter, at Cody Sievertson. My website, ahlnuxharvest.com. I should, in theory, be having games to recap starting on the 6th. I think Abbotsford returns with a four games in six nights schedule, which is fucking terrible. I'll probably record maybe two of them because that's just way too much. Lachlan, what about you, sir? Where can they find you and your work? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lock and the Crease. You can find my writing work over at CanucksArmy.com, where I write very frequently. I just wrote a, a whole article talking about Jim Rutherford's uh, interview with Halford and Bruff and like the, the things you can take out of that going forward with this team and how they're going to be approaching the rest of the year and looking for a GM. And uh, yeah, you can also, where else can you find me? I'm, I'm blanking on my usual bit. I feel like we haven't, in a way, it feels like we haven't done this in a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> we uh, did it Friday for 10 minutes. Check that, we check did it Friday episode. for 10 minutes. That was a, that was an accident, that an accidental a, 10 minutes. That was um, a banger. That was a banger. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Just uh, go check that out. Oh, make sure you subscribe to uh, the Creasecast YouTube channel. We post full episodes oh, yeah. uh, on that. Make sure to rate us five stars on both Apple podcasts and Spotify. Now they have five, they have ratings on Spotify now. Yeah, uh, we that. appreciate all of that as well. If you, if you don't have the money to give to Patreon, just, Helping out with stars, following our Creasecast Twitter account at the Creasecast, uh, or on uh, or on Instagram as well at the Creasecast. Uh, that helps us out a bunch too. So go check those out. Yeah, thanks everyone for tuning in. We'll be back at it again. I don't know soon enough. Hopefully there should be a Friday. Game hopefully to cover. Uh, if not, we love you so much. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.